Imagine that companies now are going to live in a world in which all the doors are made out of glass and, and you can see through everything and therefore you can't hide anything anymore. Now, what do we do differently? Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Tech, a monthly podcast that explores the latest emerging technologies, the people behind them, and how these trends will affect the way we work, live, and play. I'm Stacy Kirkland of Seaspire, and in today's episode, show host Dave Miller interviews Dr. Martha Rogers, one of the world's most acclaimed authors on business strategy and customer relationships, about how technology advances are rapidly fueling fundamental changes in how businesses serve and communicate with customers. Join them as they discuss how the digital revolution has fundamentally redefined the trust relationship between businesses and customers. Welcome to Seaspire's Let's Talk Tech podcast. I'm show host Dave Miller, and today we're discussing how technology advances are fueling wholesale changes in how businesses serve and communicate with customers. Joining us in the studio to talk about this subject is Dr. Martha Rogers, an acclaimed author, business strategist, and founder of Peppers and Rogers Group, the world's premier customer-centered consultancy with offices on six, so that's right, six continents. Dr. Rogers is head and founder of Trustability Metrics, which is designed to help companies understand how they are trusted by customers, employees, and business partners. She's co-authored nine bestsellers with her partner, Don Peppers, including the global bestseller, The One-to-One Future, and is widely credited with igniting the customer strategy revolution in business. Business 2.0 magazine named her one of the 19 most important business gurus of the past century. Her counsel, insight, and thought leadership are regularly sought by Fortune 500 companies and blue-chip executives worldwide, including companies like Bank of America, the U.S. Postal Service, Britain's Tax Authority, and Turkey's ISBank. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dave. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. We're really excited to have you on today's program as we learn more about your latest book that was just released earlier this year called Extreme Trust, Turning Proactive Honesty and Flawless Execution into Long-Term Profits. In this new book, you talk about how advances in technology like the smartphone revolution, all the thousands of apps that are out there and the different social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and all the others that are out there have really fundamentally redefined the trust relationship between businesses and customers today. You argue that the only valid response to this rising level of transparency is to proactively protect customer interests, even if that means spending more in the short term to preserve your brand's long-term reputation. Can you explain the role that trust between customers and companies plays in the business world today and why you feel this concept of extreme trust is so critical for business success and consumer loyalty in the future? Well, yeah, if you live in a world in which everything is known to everybody all the time and WikiLeaks is putting out everything they can and, and there's whistleblower.com uh, for companies and, and everything else and customers are all talking to each other, not all that information is going to be true, but it's all going to be real. And that being the case, then what happens is that the cost of hiding things is much greater than it used to be. And so in order not to have something to hide, then companies are going to have to sort of clean up their act and they're going to have to actually do things that it's okay for people to know. So except for the actual secret formula, imagine that companies now are going to live in a world in which 
all the doors are made out of glass and, and you can see through everything and therefore you can't hide anything anymore. Now, what do we do differently? So it's not just the glass ceiling, it's the glass doors, <laughs> it's the right. glass, glass walls, everything. it's everything, everything right? right? Well, give me some examples. I mean, obviously, we don't have to look very far. There seems to be headlines every day where companies are stubbing their toes and doing things that really reflect a lack of trust or a broken trust relationship with their customers or with their markets or even in some cases with their share owners and their shareholders. That's right. But, you know, we, we think that because of the new technologies and because of the transparency, that companies are going to have to learn how to do things right, do the right thing, and be proactive. Now, each one of those has an element that costs a little money up front, but it also will result in the kind of relationship that makes customers more valuable. But some companies, you're right, haven't learned that yet. So you mentioned a couple of really important ones. Wells Fargo, we think, is, is one that, listen, I know the Wells Fargo people. They're very good people, and they meant to do extremely well, and they meant well for their customers. And in fact, their their purpose was was right, which was to build better relationships with customers by having more and more uh, products for each customer. But the way they rewarded it, and they therefore the way they put it into effect, was wrong because they were in fact trying to to measure more products sold to a customer instead of doing more for a customer to help her have a better financial services life and to be more more proactive with her. And so I think that that's going to hurt them for a long time. It's already made John Stumpf, um, a very good guy, have to step down from his position. And so I think that it, it costs them a lot. And we can compare that with some other companies. You know, at, at VW, at the, at the company that put out the EpiPen, at both of those companies, nobody even meant to do right. They meant to do the wrong thing. So the, the EpiPen people, they don't even care about customers. They just care about their own bottom line. And if you had your choice between them and anybody else who sold something that would help your kid's asthma, you would definitely never choose them again. And even with VW, I think it's going to end up costing them more than they'll ever know, not just the millions and millions of dollars and fees and fines and all that, but just they just didn't care. So I think even though they didn't kill anybody, which, which car companies can do sometimes, uh, even with that, it's just harder to forgive somebody who knew that they were jipping the the EPA and the environmental services in all the countries and their own customers whose cars are less valuable now. The Takata airbags is another great example. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, the idea that people in business should be so trustworthy that their customers and their clients would actually clamor to associate themselves with that business, with that company, with that brand is very aspirational, obviously, and, and it, it's something that Seaspire obviously is very interested in. But many in today's business world, particularly in the technology sector, say that that can be somewhat unrealistic because of all of the pressures for short-term financial performance from investors, from Wall Street, from analysts. How do you balance the expectations and the way the markets operate with how you're supposed to treat customers? Well, first of all, the markets are a strange and rarefied place. But that doesn't mean that they're completely blind to what we're talking about. The problem is simply this, that just as everything has changed due to technology, 
transparency has, has required us to be more trustworthy and more trustable. And we have a lot different ways of dealing with customers now. Who would have thought less than nine years ago, just before the smart uh, phones came out, that 60% of the screen stuff by now, less than 10 years later, was going to be on mobile phones. I mean, who, who knew that stuff was going to happen? So what's happened in the markets is that, that technology has changed everything except the way they measure their own success. And they are still using measures that are as archaic as traditional old mass media advertising or traditional old any number of things. And that, that measurement is short-term, long-term, this quarter's numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason they do that is partly because it's so lucrative for them individually. And it's also, there's not anything else that they've been shown should be used instead. The good news is that we do have better measures now. And so the question is, would they be receptive to those measures? And the answer is, imagine this. Imagine a report where an investor, sometimes I attend those investor meetings and, and the recommendations meetings by phone and stuff. But imagine you have a Royal Bank of Canada and they are one of five banks in Canada. I love watching the banks in Canada because there's so few of them that they're sort of laboratories. So I can tell you, you know, one, two, three, four, five, which ones are most customer-centric, and also one, two, three, four, five, which ones are most successful. Royal Bank of Canada is at the top of both of those, uh, not surprisingly. So here's one of the things that they do at Royal Bank. They don't just think about how they can make money on a product. So let's imagine that you have a checking account, and if you're like a lot of banks, we're going to see if we can make money on your checking account. And, uh, and so we do that by charging you fines, and we do that by charging you fees. But at Royal Bank, they want to make sure they're making money on you. And so that requires them to do something different. First of all, if you are a customer of Royal Bank, you're probably Canadian. Yes, upper northeast of the of U.S., but you're probably Canadian. And that means you are frugal. And I'm sorry, that's just the way it is with Canadians. So, And that means that if you get a fine for having gone over your limit or something like that, you're going to call the customer uh, support system and you're going to say, hey, I want you to take this fee off. I'm a good customer. And they're going to take it off because they want to keep you as a good customer. So think about this. They had to make you mad and pay somebody to answer a telephone and pay somebody to reverse the charges and do all that other stuff, and they still didn't make a fine. They didn't make making money. So they have figured out how to go through stuff like that, realize that if it's Dave and you've been a, a member for, you know, a customer for five years and you've met these certain then we're just going to waive it this time, and we're going to tell you that we did and that this is how you'll prevent this in the future. And now you're happy. It cost us less, and they've actually increased their profit per customer. Now, they may or may not have increased their profit for the checking account product, but that doesn't matter as much. If they can increase the profit on Dave and Tony and Angela and everybody else who's a customer of theirs, then they've increased their profits. And so learning how to do that becomes very important. And we're watching some companies get credit for that from those markets that we were talking about earlier. So I heard an actual investment guru on one of these calls say, you know, the thing about it is that Apple recommended that they, they weren't quite ready with their new release, and so they recommended to their business and enterprise customers that they hold off on their sales until next quarter. And I'm going to tell you, um, holders of this stock, 
go ahead and put a buy on it. Even though you're seeing their sales down this quarter, you're gonna see their sales up the next four quarters, and they're a rare company who can actually do the right thing for customers and who can uh, can build the value of the company for quarters to come. Now, that came out of the mouth of an investor. That didn't just come out of my mouth. That's the kind of thing I say. And, and so I think that that kind of thing can happen. In the book, you mention USAA as an example of a company that proactively has gone out there and really implemented this idea and and put it into practice that, hey, we're not just a trustworthy company, we're trustable. And in fact, we're we're proactively trustable. Talk about the example that you gave uh, during the Iraqi war. It's an amazing company because they, you know how it started? See if this sounds familiar. (laughs) It started because in 1986, they decided that their systems were too slow. That if somebody called in with a question about their insurance accounts or had a question about whether they needed, that it shouldn't take three or five or 10 days to get them the answer. They wanted to get the answer to them right away. In 1986, this was not a straightforward thing to do. This is 20, 30 years ago. This This is a long time ago. And they actually cobbled together the uh, software and the, the IT that they needed to make that happen then when it was expensive and hard. And they did it because that's what customers needed. So one of the things that they were able to do with that is, of course, put customers first in everything. By the way, this is why they get rated by Forrester Research year after year after year as the top, the top rated customer favored. And one of the things that they did was back in the first Gulf War, they actually refunded people who had fought, who had gone over and, and been out of the country for six weeks to fight in the war. When they got back, they found a letter waiting for them from uh, USAA that said, thank you for your service. And also, here's a little refund for the time that you were gone because, you know, gee, we don't think you were driving your car during that time, so we don't think you should have had, had to pay for car insurance. Now, that's amazing enough, and it's just the kind of thing we would expect from USAA. They just do the right thing, and they, you know, they do things right, and they figure out how to... But the really amazing thing about this story is that the 2,500, actually more than 2,500 of the customers, actually gave the checks back, sent the checks back, uncashed, saying things like, you know, we need you, thank you for this, but, you know, be there strong for us, and, you know... Wow, that's just, I can't imagine the customers of most banks sending back the checks and saying, they just keep them. I don't even understand why this bank is sending me a refund check, but fine, they probably owe it to me. And so that is a remarkable thing, to be at a point where your customers not only want to succeed, but they want you to succeed. And so the real question that we have from a story like that is, how do you compete against a company where customers send back the refund checks and they're now you know, staying for the third generation and counting. And that's the kind of company that I hear C Spire wanting to be. Absolutely. And, and that's really, you know, how's anybody going to compete when we can get to that stage? Well, let's talk a little bit about the wireless industry because it's been around now since the early 80s. It's pretty much commoditized as far as the service itself even though Apple would like to believe there's the next big smartphone out there, the reality is is that between Apple and Samsung and a few other companies, most of the innovation and you know the new wow factors are, are really, basically we all know now that if we have a smartphone, we're carrying around a little mini computer. 
So how, if you're in this space, which C Spire is, it's one of our lines of business. It's fact, it happens to be our largest line of business. If you're in this line of business, how do you differentiate yourself from the other guys, you know, like AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile and Sprint? To me, and a lot of the analysts have talked about this, a lot of the research have talked about this, the new frontier in wireless is going to be customer service and how you treat the customer what policies you have, how you interact with them, how you communicate with them. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dave. And I'll tell you something. A long time ago, uh, we tried to stop using the P word, that's policies, because I figure as a customer, whenever somebody starts talking to me about why they can't do what I need them to do because of their company's policies, I just stop them right there and say, excuse me, it's not law. It's just your company's policy. And I have a few policies of my own. So since those are just as important, we'll just go with those, okay? So it's really, uh, I think that that whole idea of what's it going to take for customers to believe that we're looking out for their best interests, that we're capable of looking out for their best interests, and that we're going to do that proactively is just profound. So the, that is the real difference. If I can get uh, an iPhone 7 from any number of companies, then what's going to determine where I get it? And the answer to that comes from, well, it, who's going to help me the most? Who's going to get me out the door uh, when I go upgrade from my six to my seven? Who's going to get me out the door with, you know, the most um, confetti and, and excitement with making sure that I'm, you know, I've got my new phone and it's going to work perfectly and I've still got all my pictures and there's nothing that's lost in the process and everything's easy. And then the next day, based on which apps I not only had, but which ones I was using, because you know, then why don't you suggest two more, one's free, one's not, that uh, would make my life better? Not just push two, two that somebody's spiffing you know, the company, to, to, but which two would be easy for me to get and which ones would help me do what I'm doing and which ones would help me, if I'm spending a lot of time fooling around with, with pictures, then, then help me with... I don't know, editing them or saving them or filing them or doing something else that makes more sense for me. And, and in other words, get my phone to help teach me how to use it better because I know that I'm carrying around in my hand casually more computing power than went to the moon on the moon landing, but it's still, I, I, there are lots of things that it can't do. Yeah, there are kids who can do amazing things with their phones, but a lot of people out there uh, are still learning stuff. Even the kids are learning stuff all the time. So really different. One of the other things you talk about in your book is what we've seen too is really a generational yeah. shift in terms of a bigger, a much growing segment of, of more, all markets now are millennials. Yeah. They have a different way of communicating. They have different expectations. They want what they want. They want it now. And much the way you describe, they really want to have a relationship with a company. It's not just I'm buying a product. I want to have a relationship with that company and I want to know that they're looking out for me. That's right. Right, that's right. And 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 it's such a surprise to the baby boomers. I won't name any names among the people here in this conversation, but um but I think maybe both of us. But the, uh, the fact is that the millennials are now outnumbering us. And so here they are bright and ready. And, uh, and I think one of the things it tells us is that diversity is going to uh, come in terms of age as well as all the other ways that we know it should come. And that things for customers get a lot stronger when we put a millennial on every single uh, committee and every single um, thing that we're trying to do because they know what they're doing and, and we don't. And we have to, we really have to listen to the, to the ways that they're thinking about things. So, yeah. One final question I have for you is really about the role of employees 
the role that employees play in helping companies infuse honesty and what you talk about in your book, trustability and transparency. And really, all of this just harkens back, for me anyway, to the golden rule. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated yourself and infuse that into your business operations. You say in your book that how companies manage and how they measure and how they reward employees can really have a huge impact on the way they treat and interact with their own customers. Uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, between World War II and the time he became president, Dwight D. Eisenhower was trying to figure out what to do. And so he became, for a few years, the president of Columbia University. And he wanted to run it sort of like the military. And so he would come into the meetings, there would be all these faculty members there, and he would say, well, as faculty of Columbia, we need you to do this and such. And finally, one of them stood up in the front row one day and said, excuse me, Mr. President, we are not the faculty. We are not employees of Columbia University. We are Columbia University. And I have never forgotten that because that's so true of the people who they're not our employees. They are us. So that being the case, then it's just, you know, what do we do to engage uh, employees? And what we have found over and over is that they can be more innovative if, they, if they're not as afraid of a, an occasional wise failure. They're always feeling a lot better about what they do all day every day. If our goal as a group is to try to make life better for customers and appeal to the smartest customers and to help them and to improve life on the planet instead of anything else, it, it means that um, we can measure... And and manage what what really helps um, make things work out right. Let me give you a, a really mundane example, although the list is is really quite long, and there's some more profound possibilities. But if if we go into a contact center, and I find out that the managers are being measured on how many calls they can get through in an hour, and therefore how little each call costs, then I say, hmm, not 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 a trustable company probably, or much much work to do. But if I go into a call center where people are calling in, but they call in for two reasons. They've either already got a problem or they've got some questions. And, and the thing that we're measured on is these two things. Uh, how, uh, how, are we, uh, how many calls does it take to handle this problem or query? And second, how happy is the customer when he gets off the phone? And if those are the measures of our success, sometimes it takes a little bit of time, sometimes it takes longer, then I know that we probably have the, the basis for a much more trustable company. Maybe we need to do things to get fewer complaints to happen in the first place because we've got to you know, clean some stuff up. But at least we know that in those moments of truth, things will really matter. And, and those kinds of measures can strongly both determine and reveal uh, how a, a, a company, how trustable a company can be. Well, as we've learned today, gaining and nurturing customer trust will play an increasingly important role in business success in the 21st century, particularly as technology advances prompt even greater levels of transparency. It's no longer good enough to simply follow the rules. Successful businesses will need to engage customers and reach out to them to ensure their needs are met. It's a business world where transparency and openness our strengths and the golden rule is a critical linchpin for success. If you'd like to order a copy of Extreme Trust, go to www.extremetrustpaperback.com or www.penguin.com. To learn more about Peppers and Rogers Group and their work, go to www.peppersandrogersgroup.com. To learn more about the trustability matrix, go to www.trustabilitymetrics.com and that's metrics, M-E-T-R-I-X. 
Thanks again, Dr. Rogers, for coming in on today's program, and we'll look forward to catching up with you in the future. My guess is that we'll end up including C Spire in our next book. Well, we look forward to it. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can learn more about Peppers and Rogers Group and their work on the trust relationship between consumers and businesses at www.peppersandrogersgroup.com. For more details about the trustability metrics, go to www.trustabilitymetrics.com. If you like the show, subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Join us next time as we explore how aerial drones are revolutionizing business and industry and the role that Mississippi is playing in helping to usher in this new high-tech form of flight in the digital age.